listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Oh man, we love our friends at Young Life. They do such a great job of introducing middle school students, high school students, and college-age kids to the love of Jesus. And every single week, they fill our building with teenagers and with college students, and you can get involved. You can sign up and be a leader with Young Life. I'll share a little bit more about how you can do that later in the service. But first, let me welcome everyone. As always, I'm so grateful to worship with you, to share space with you, and to be connected with you. My name is Jeff. If we've never met, I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard, and we have been praying that you would experience the love and power of Jesus Christ today when we gather. I want to welcome everyone on the live stream as well. We're so thankful that you're with us. And if you want to say hello in the chat or let us know how things are going, how we can pray for you, we'll be sure to be praying for you as well. But it's been, a, it's been an interesting morning for me. I was off my kind of uh, normal routine when I woke up and I realized the Broncos were playing in London. Um, no spoilers for those who are taping, but I will say that I live in this weird tension because when the Broncos do poorly, church attendance rises. <laughs> and so as a local pastor, you know, I'm like, I love it and I hate it as a sports fan. So we'll see how it all ends up by the time this is done this morning. But today we're finishing our series. It's called Together We Are. We've been in this for three weeks studying the book of Ephesians and particularly focusing on how God talks about the local church. How God talks about what it is this when we gather, like how God would define it, how God would talk about it, and what we can learn from Ephesians in terms of how God thinks about the local church. In Ephesians 1, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we're the family of God. This is a phrase that Paul used to explain who we are in Christ. Last week, we talked about how we're the temple of God. And how somehow we're, we're built together, but we're also built on the foundation of churches that preceded us for thousands of years and that people will continue on even after we're gone. Today, we're wrapping up the series in Ephesians chapter 4 with a message called the body of Christ. That together we are the body of Christ. I'm going to read a large chunk of scripture on the front end from Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 16, and then we'll kind of meander our way through it together this morning. Start in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full 
of love. Full of love. You know, all throughout the New Testament and definitely here in Ephesians 4, we run across this phrase, the body of Christ. But most of the time when when the concept or the scriptural idea of the body of Christ is preached, and I'm definitely guilty of this as well, we we take it out of the context of like this collective body and unity and we immediately move to like the individual reality of what it means that you are a member in the body of Christ. And so pastors, again, I'm guilty, we, we take this text and we immediately ask you to take like a spiritual gifts test. Or, or to share with us your, your Enneagram or your, your uh, Myers-Briggs and how might you fit in the body of Christ together, right? And, and so we, we come up with these really interesting metaphors and illustrations like, well, maybe you're an arm or maybe you're a leg or, or a nose or an ear, which is terrifying because those are the parts of your body that keep growing all the way until you die. <laughs> or you could be like this hidden organ that's maybe kind of tucked away but really essential to the body of Christ. Like, how does this work for you? And I think these are important conversations. They're good questions. They're good things to think about. Self-awareness, after all, it's a, it's a gift to yourself and the people around you. It's important to discover how God has created you and what he's created you for. We'll even spend a little time talking about that today. But if we rush to the individual interpretation of this scripture, if we rush to what it means just for you personally, we will sometimes miss the beauty of what it's telling us about how we're united together. What that means for your life and my life when they're united together in Christ and what happens even to our spiritual maturity when we stay connected. Because you see, it really points to this picture that we spiritually thrive when we're part of the body of Christ. We spiritually thrive when we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's where we got this title, We Are the Body of Christ. It's right from Ephesians 4. It's right from the Scripture. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. You, you can't be the body alone. You, you just can't. It's illogical. It, it doesn't make sense. It's impossible to be the whole body by yourself. It doesn't make sense. And Paul is teaching us that no matter how deep your personal walk gets with Jesus, no matter how spiritually mature you are able to get on your own journey, there will be a ceiling in your life or there'll be parts of your heart that will eventually shrivel up if you continue to isolate yourself from the greater body of Christ which is almost like a counter-narrative in our culture because it's not really the American dream to uh, rely on other people. Much more the American dream is to celebrate independence or individualization or kind of the self-determination, right? But scripture is teaching us that the most amount of growth happens and the most amount of spiritual maturity and spiritual vitality happens when you learn to both rely on God and on others. This is how... He's created the body. This is how he's created the church. And this is how he's created us as individuals. And just like last week, we took a moment to pause and kind of reflect. Like, what does this mean? If we are the temple of God, if we are the body of Christ, then how does this impact my Sundays? How does it impact how I show up? How does it impact how I think about the people in front of me or behind me or to the left or to the right of me? How does it impact me when I'm gone? Because it's not like you magically quit being the body of Christ when you walk out those doors. Right? How, how might this impact how we speak about one another? How we celebrate each other? It's pretty obvious from this passage, and many others like it, that Jesus takes this really seriously. 
takes it really seriously. I mean, it, any quick read of the New Testament, especially through the book of Ephesians, and you learn really quickly, Jesus loves the church. Jesus really loves the church. It says that he gives gifts to the church, that he fits everyone together to fit perfectly, that he strengthens us and empowers us and encourages us and loves us to live life together, one that honors him and supports each other while we're on this journey. And because Jesus loves the church so much, we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, do I love the church like Jesus? Do you love the church like Jesus? This is an important, reflective question. And I realize it's a bold question. It's, it's a fairly direct question. Some of you are only one cup of coffee in, so that might feel really like upfront and personal with you. And, and since it's so direct and since it's so personal, I'm willing to go first. I have not always answered that question with a yes. I have not always loved the church. Now, I love the church now, so you can just kind of take a collective sigh of relief that the pastor of the church loves the church. I mean, I really do. I love worshiping with you. I've committed my life to following God and, and edifying this church. I know everyone on our staff, our entire team, we truly love this church. But I can tell you with total transparency, I have not always loved the church. There was a season, there were multiple seasons of my life when I rejected the church, when I probably despised the church. I didn't grow up following Jesus. And so early on, it wasn't even that I didn't like the church. It's just the church was completely irrelevant to me. I mean, I didn't give my life to Christ until I was in college. And so most of my early years, the church just wasn't even on my radar. I, I mocked people. I teased people. I, when I got drugged to church, like I, I just, I, I got in trouble. I got kicked out of church. And so I never really liked the church. Those are stories for another day. <laughs> And you might be here this morning, you might be in a very similar place that I was. And maybe no one ever told you that Jesus died for you, that he wants to forgive you of all of your sins, that he wants to offer you a new life that, for, that you can experience for eternity, but you can begin to experience right here, right now. And if that's you, I am so thankful that you're here today or you're here online, because by the end of our service together, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus and to commit your life to him for the very first time, because I know that if you say yes to Jesus, it will change your life much like it did mine. But even after I gave my life to Christ, I was still very uneasy about the church. And mostly, just in, in total honesty, I mostly didn't like the church because I didn't think the church was doing its job. And so I told myself all kinds of stories Right? Like, oh, the church doesn't really care for the poor. I care for the poor. As if my 22-year-old self knew how to really care for the poor and the church didn't. Or I said, you know, the church, they don't really know how to walk with the Spirit of God, but I know how to walk with the Spirit of God. They don't know what it's, what it's really like to have real, authentic community lives committed to each other under the, the lordship of Jesus that offers transformation to every area of our life. But surely, Natalie and I, we know what real, authentic community looks like. This was the story we told ourselves. And so we did what a lot of 20-somethings who are called to ministry but don't like the church do. We started a Christian nonprofit. And I'm telling you, we thought we were God's gift to the church because we were finally gonna do what the church couldn't do. Did you hear the themes of arrogance and pride in this story as well? 
But this is what we set out to. I'm not saying it's 100% of the reason why we started the nonprofit where, where we lived and, and, and served the urban centers of the United States, but I, I bet it was at least 25% of why we started that ministry. Because we thought the church wasn't doing their job. And so if you've ever said that, man, know that I can resonate. I have been there. I've done that. We started a nonprofit to prove it. So having come from that experience and now being someone who is squarely in the camp that no longer blames the church, but truly loves the church. Can we just have a, a family chat for just a second? That argument is kind of an old and tired argument. It, the argument doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense because scripturally what you learn is that Jesus really loves the church. He loves it so much that he made himself part of it. In verse 16, he says that he is the head of the church. See, he's uniquely tied himself to the church. He's uniquely fit himself into the church as the head. Everything else flows from him. But that's why I think one of the primary reasons why the phrase, I love Jesus, just not the church, doesn't quite line up with scripture. Have you heard that one before? I love Jesus, just not the church. Maybe some of you have said it like I've said it before. But it doesn't really fit the biblical narrative. You can't reconcile that phrase with what you learn from Scripture. Because Jesus has married himself to the church. He's made himself the head of the church. He deeply loves the church. And so we have to reflect on passages like Ephesians 4 and ask ourselves, how can I love the church like Jesus? How can I love the church like Jesus? How can I move towards her and not just keep her at an arm's length? How can I speak kindly about the church? How can I avoid constant critiquing or gossiping that sometimes follows this dissatisfaction that we all experience from time to time? I mean, we wouldn't want that in any other relationship in our life, would we? We wouldn't want that in a relationship with Jesus. And if he's the head of the church and he's uniquely tied himself to the church, then we wouldn't want a part of that relationship either. And I get that it's messy. Like church is messy. As the lead pastor of this church, I am keenly aware that it is messy that we make mistakes, that I make mistakes. But if no one's ever told you this before, one of the reasons why church is messy is because it's filled with humans, of which you are one. And so if you need to elbow your neighbor a little bit and just say, yeah, you need the church, but you're also part of the messiness, it's okay. I'm consecutively seeing lots of elbows happening right now. I'll let you guys talk about that on the way home. But listen, this is a real thing. As long as the church is filled with humans, it will be filled with messiness. We are an imperfect church, and I am an imperfect pastor, but we're still called to this holy and, and sacred community where we are the body of Christ together. You know, one of the things that I really love about this passage in Ephesians 4, one of the things that I've come to love about the local church is that we actually help each other grow. We help each other grow. You can do a lot of growing on your own. You can do all kinds of growing on your own, but, but scripture does make it pretty clear that spiritual growth happens alone, but also in community. 
It happens in your quiet time by yourself when no one's watching, and it happens in shared spaces, whether it's large groups, small groups, service opportunities, you name it. Part of the local church is designed to help one another grow. Look at verse 16 once more with me. He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And I, I love everything about this verse. I love everything about it. It says God fits us together perfectly. He places and, and fits us all together perfectly, which means that although we don't always feel like we fit, although we don't always feel like we belong, or we wonder where our place is in the body of Christ, that if we'll trust the process and the journey that God has for us, that sooner or later, he will work this out in our life and in the lives of those around us. He promises to help us grow. He promised us that we'll be filled with love, but it takes the body of Christ growing together to see that happen. And if God is fitting us together perfectly, and if he's helping us grow and become filled with love, then it means that as the body of Christ, that we are more of ourselves when we're all here and we're somehow less of ourselves when we're not. Now, this is a really strange thing to talk about, especially in a culture that elevates individualization so much because you can hear that and you can say, oh man, that church would be nothing without me. And that's really awkward and that's really weird and borderline hearsay. So you got, you got to avoid comments like that, but you do need to realize that we notice when you're not here and yet we notice when you are here because somehow, some way, God has created us to grow together and sharpen one another and be elevated together. Well, that's not to shame you into church attendance or something weird like that. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't want to present it to you in that kind of way. But there is this unique model that we read about in Scripture about how when we integrate our lives together, we're somehow better together than we would be alone. Scripture continues, it says that each part does its own special work, helping the other parts, helping the other messy humans in this room so that we can grow and be healthy and be full of love. Now, obviously, it's true. This is my qualifier for this, okay? So for those of you who needed a qualifier, here you go. It is true that sometimes you need to step out of serving or leading or volunteering or doing different things. And there's a variety of reasons why you might need to do that. Oftentimes, it comes when you need to take an extended view and an extended focus on healing. Healing your marriage, healing your family, your relationships. Maybe your mental or physical health is, isn't as in a good place or isn't as good as, as you need it to be. Or, or perhaps even the last church you were at did some really interesting things and you left wounded from maybe spiritual abuse or something like that. And, and if that's the case in your life, I just want you to hear it from me from up front that this is a church where you can heal and belong at the same time. Like you can come in your pain, you can come in your messiness, and you can heal as you learn to belong. That's totally fine. There was a season in my life, and Natalie and I were married early on, and, and we just needed to be a part of a church and sit in the back row where no lights were shining on us and no one looked at us in the eye, and we could just be there and heal and get connected. Now, we didn't stay there forever. But we needed that season. And I want you to know that if that's what you need right now, that this is a church where you can belong and heal. 
But oftentimes, we get stuck in maybe one extreme or the other, and we start to tell ourselves a story about why we're not involved. And in the worst cases, they end up on, a, on an extreme of maybe a continuum. And I want, to share with, I want to share two extremes with you this morning that keep many from getting plugged in and, and getting to know the local church in a deeper way. Either they say to themselves, oh, I've outgrown it, or they say to themselves, I'm insignificant. Either I've outgrown the local church, I've somehow spiritually grown beyond the needs of a local church, or I'm insignificant. The outgrown it idea is, is tough to handle in Scripture. You don't really see that very, very much anywhere in, in the Bible, but we tell ourselves this story that like we've ascended this spiritual apex and now we don't actually need the people around us because we've been you know, enlightened beyond a point of need in the local church. And, and if that's you, I just want to say really kindly, really lovingly, that's why I'm moving over to the side of the podium so you can really see my body language that I love. I'll say it with a smile. You're not that special. <laughs> I love you so much. But you haven't outgrown the local church. No one ever grows, outgrows the local church. I guess there's one that may, it says, it says that, that uh, this will continue until we measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And so if that's you, you can send me an email and you can tell me that you've, you know, ascended to the full maturity of Christ. But before you send that email, just ask the person closest to you if you've actually done that. Ask your best friend or your spouse or your children and say, I'm looking for some feedback. Have I ascended to the full maturity of Christ? And if they say yes, then you can click send on that email and we'll have a good coffee and conversation about what that looks like. <laughs> but my guess is that none of us have arrived. Our last series was Amateur Hour, where we celebrated the fact that we're all learning and growing together for the rest of our life. This is the nature of following Jesus. On the other side of this equation, and the other side of this extreme, though, is the I'm significant side of the equation. And if you have never gotten plugged in, or if you have never got connected, or you've never tried to lead or volunteer or participate in the life of the local church because you've kind of believed this lie, or you've said it over yourself, or maybe someone else has said it over you that somehow you're insignificant, then I want to tell you, when we move into ministry time later today, we want to pray for you. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no one who is non-essential. In the kingdom of God, everybody gets to play. In the kingdom of God, he fits you perfectly into the body of Christ. He has a purpose for you. He has a life for you. It's one where you help others grow, it's, but it's also one where they help you grow. And if that's you, we want to pray and minister to you today because I believe God wants to offer you some healing. And of course, if you've never given your life to Christ, then during that ministry time, I also will give you a chance to respond to that and to make a public declaration that you want to follow Jesus from this day forward. And I want you to know ahead of time that if you make that decision today, it's not a waiting game. You don't have to wait to get involved because God adopts you into his family immediately. He makes you part of the temple of God immediately and he fits you perfectly into the body of Christ immediately because he wants to help you grow, become healthy, and measure up to the fullness of Christ's love. There are so many places where all of us can fit, new believers or longtime 
believers. Maybe it's something that we do on Sundays. Maybe it's something that we do midweek. Maybe it's one of the local organizations like Young Life or Alpha Pregnancy Center or Christ Clinic that we host here on the weekends. Maybe it's actually just your presence in a small group and your warmth and hospitality invites others to ask questions that they've been begging to ask for years. I'm going to do a really dangerous thing. I'm going to put my email up on the screen behind me. And I am inviting you to email me if you want to get involved. And I have no idea how God might speak to you about that. I put it in the sermon notes at votrweekly.org as well. If you want to get involved, you can send me an email, and I promise you we can find a spot for you to get plugged in. I also promise you that I might not have all the answers to your questions, but I will connect you with who does. Because there are all kinds of places where you can get plugged in, and there are all kinds of things that God wants to do in your life and through your life, transforming you and transforming the people around you. This passage encourages us to reflection in so many different ways. How can I love the church like Jesus? Do I live on one of these extremes? But I'll also say that this passage is an invitation to celebration. It's an invitation to celebration to recognize what God is doing in our midst. And we talked a little bit about it last week, but I want to talk about it again this week because we need to get in the habit of being grateful and thankful and celebrating all that God is doing in our midst. I don't have the final count yet, but many of you know that we're taking a one day to feed the world offering and we're giving all that away to our mission partners at Convoy of Hope. And to date, although I don't have the exact number because we're still collecting a few offerings, right now I can tell you that offering is going to be well over $75,000. And I have a lot of faith, but every year I'm still like, I don't even know how this happened. But it happened because of your generosity. And it happened because you're responding to God's call to make a difference in the world around you. I just want to remind you, that means that right now, through our mission partners at Convoy of Hope, Vineyard Church of the Rocky is feeding 3,700 kids a meal every single day at schools in Zimbabwe. That we are empowering, yes, we can thank the Lord for that. Remember, it, it used to be zero, then it was 2,000, now it's three, over 3,000, and we're going to be well on our way to 10 or 15,000 in the next couple of years. It means 75 women have been given grants to start their own businesses so that they can uh, leave the cycle of generational poverty and begin to care for their families. It means 200 farmers have been trained by the agronomists through Convoy of Hope so they can provide food for their families and the community around them. These are incredible things that God is doing in this church to help us grow together and to love the body of Christ all around the world. But it's not just internationally, it's also here. Small groups are alive and well. When we worship, I don't know if you notice, but it's getting louder in here. And it's because people are singing louder and they're engaging with God more and more. Generosity is increasing at this church, which means we can steward that for more ministry in our local area. 10 people, 10 people in the last month. You might be the 11th today, but so far in the month of October, 10 people have made personal decisions to follow Christ during our services. This is, these are things we're celebrating. 
These are things worth, worth reflecting on and saying, God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're fitting us perfectly together into the, into the body of Christ where we can belong and we can support and we can be known and we can know others. These are things to celebrate. But scriptures also says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing to mourn or to grieve with those who are grieving. And if you're part of the body of Christ, then it also means you pay attention sometimes when parts of the body are hurting. And this is also part of being the body of Christ. It means that when part of the body is hurting, that we hurt with them. It means part of the body is hurting in this room, we hurt with them. It means if part of the body is hurting internationally, we hurt with them. You know, if you take the metaphor of the body of Christ and you realize, like, maybe there's an arm that is broken, you all of a sudden, you pay attention a little bit more to that arm. It doesn't mean that the legs are no longer important or they're insignificant. It just means that for a time and a season, you're going to make sure the arm gets wholly, fully healed and you're going to pay attention to nurse that back to health. And so when part of the body hurts, somehow tangibly and sometimes even in unknown ways, we hurt as well. And listen, the world is hurting so much. If you look around the globe, you can see all kinds of pockets and people groups who are hurting. And so we can't talk about this every week. We can't pray for a different people group who is suffering or being persecuted every single week. But last week, we prayed for our friends in Zimbabwe, and this week, I want to pray for another nation that's really going through it right now. If you haven't been paying attention, there are all kinds of things happening in Iran right now. And if we are the body of Christ, then when the global body of Christ is hurting, we hurt alongside them. Protests are happening. Violence is happening. People are being hurt, imprisoned, and even killed for their faith. But at the same exact time as all of that's happening in Iran, the church of Jesus Christ is growing and expanding in amazing ways. And by the way, it's being led mostly by women who are sharing their faith with other women who are sharing their faith with children. And the kingdom of God is growing and expanding in incredible ways in Iran right now. Now this is on my radar a bit more than normal because we have an Iranian family in our church there were Christians in Iran, and during the first revolution, revolution excuse me, they, they fled from Iran to the United States. And through our relationship, I've gotten a chance to learn a lot about the Persian culture. We've been sharing prayers for Iran together, and they've been part of our church for years, way more years than I have. We even got to host the wedding for their son, Iman, in this very space. So I want to invite Goli Babazadeh up, and she's going to actually lead us into, in a prayer this morning for our brothers and sisters in, in Iran. Can we welcome Goli up to the stage? <laughs> Goli and her husband, Farid, who couldn't be here, he's traveling. Um, they've been a part of our church for an incredibly long time, and they've been so welcoming uh, to Natalie and I. And as we've gotten to know each other, we've just heard their heart for their people in Iran. And you match that up with how the body of Christ is growing in Iran, and we just felt like this was an important thing to model, that we celebrate what God is doing, but we also, we also join with the part of the body of Christ that is hurting. So, Goli, can you pray for us this morning? Lord Jesus, we come to you in a place of need. Our brothers and sisters in Iran are hurting. Their faith is being silenced. 
They're being persecuted, and some are even giving their life for their faith. But we know you are a strong and powerful God, and we love and trust you. And so we pray the same prayer the early disciples prayed when they faced persecution in Acts chapter 4. We pray in Jesus' name that you would hear the threats over the Christians in Iran and that you would give boldness and power to their preaching. Stretch out your hand with healing, and may the holy name of Jesus be glorified. We pray that through all of this pain, the Church of Jesus Christ would grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Holy. part of the body of Christ is rejoicing, we rejoice. And when part of the body of Christ is hurting, we hurt alongside them. Goli, thank you for praying for us this morning. I want to close with a final but a most important note from Ephesians 14, a point that we get directly from verse 16, and it's that Jesus Christ is the head of his body, the church. Church just doesn't work the way it's supposed to if anything else becomes the head. Jesus Christ needs to be the head of the church. Church doesn't work if I become the head of the church. That'll be a very dysfunctional church. Church doesn't work the way it's supposed to if a big ministry or an outreach program or our individual favorite projects become the head of the church. Church works best when Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the same is true for your life, your relationships, your finances, health, job, future, or past. None of it works the way it's supposed to when it gets out of order. I have tried saving myself, and on my worst days, I've tried saving the church. It never works. It's totally exhausting. And it leaves you completely worn out. Jesus Christ must be the head of your life and the head of your church if you want to experience spiritual vitality. I can't do life without a savior. I've learned the hard way. And so I just want to ask the room, are you ready to give your life to Christ today if you never have before? Jesus Christ came into our world. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross so that his body would be broken so that we could be made whole. His blood shed so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be ushered into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ that we don't have to wait for when we sometime go to heaven, but we can experience on earth as it is in heaven right here, right now. And if you're ready to make that decision today, then in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to respond. But I want to give you the opportunity to start thinking about that right now. And if you've already given your life to Christ, then let me just simply ask the same question I opened with this morning. How can you love the church like Jesus? How can you love the church like Jesus? Let's pray together.